You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. If you have somebody in your family, maybe you've been praying for them. They're a staunch critic of Christianity. They're not a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, they're as far from that as they could be. Don't you ever stop praying for them. Don't you ever give up on them. Because the staunch critic today could become a leader for the kingdom of God tomorrow. Won't you give up? Never give up on the things that Jesus places in your heart. Remember that through Him, even the impossible is possible. Today, Pastor Danny reminds you that Jesus can move mountains through you. Though He may not do so as quickly as you'd like, He can and will. Stay faithful to this, commit to His promises, and never stop believing that His will is best for you, no matter what hardships and trials it may bring. Commit to Him and to His plan. And when your final days come, you'll be able to look back with joy. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of James, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Purpose of Trials. Right now, we're reading through the majority of the New Testament. Uh, this week, in the, God, or in the book of, the epistle of James. And so I've chosen James chapter 1. And uh, I want to get into the heart of it, but uh, there's something here you don't want to miss. And I'm going to give you some things, and you won't be able to write it down fast enough. So if you want to write it down, try. But better just to listen, because uh, the opening statement, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there a minute. The writer, James, assumes everybody's going to know who he is. But there were a lot of different James in the early church. There are a lot of James that were followers of Jesus Christ and were notable, notable disciples. This guy, James, this particular James, assumes you're going to know who he is. James, this little epistle, is the oldest of all the New Testament books. It's the first one written. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, this one is the first one. The majority of scholars, I'm not a scholar, but I'm a student of the Word, believe that this James who penned this first book of the New Testament is James, Jesus' brother. Technically, Jesus is half-brother, because you probably know uh, Joseph wasn't involved in the conception of Jesus. Mary the virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. But then Joseph and Mary had other children after Jesus's conception and birth. We know that, despite what the Catholic Church says, 
Mary is not a perpetual virgin. She had other kids. We have two scriptures, Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 and 56, that give us the names of Jesus' siblings. He had four other brothers. Their names are James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. Most scholars believe, I believe, most scholars are right, that the James who penned this little epistle is James, the Lord's half-brother. Why is that important? Well, first of all, his brothers didn't believe in him. If you're a note-taker, you can write down John chapter 7, verse 5. It tells us that Jesus' brothers did not believe his claims. As a matter of fact, they mocked him. They made fun of him. They accused him of just trying to become a famous public figure. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 tells us that after the resurrection, one of those that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was James, his brother. And nobody else was around when he appeared to James. And it revolutionized James's life. Can you imagine being James and growing up with Jesus, mocking him, making fun of him, not believing his claims, and then he appears to you after he's resurrected from the dead and suddenly you realize, my brother's Superman. <laughs> Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul the apostle says after he becomes a believer in Christ, Paul, when he gets to Jerusalem after his conversion, he met with James, the Lord's brother. And here's what's fascinating. He refers to James as an apostle. Galatians 2.9, he refers to James as one who had a reputation as a pillar in the church. He's a foundational leader in the church in Jerusalem. When God miraculously, miraculously delivers Peter out of prison, the record in Acts chapter 12 says a group of believers were praying for Peter to be released. He shows up at the front door they don't believe it's Peter. When finally they let him in, here's what Peter says. Make sure you go and tell James and the brothers. Acts 21 verse 17, Paul says that when he arrived in Jerusalem, he and those with him went to see James and all the elders of the church were present. Let me give you one more. In Acts 15, key leaders of the church in Jerusalem got together debating some theological issues. And after much discussion, the final decision rested with James, and he says, here's what we're going to do. Write a letter. Send it out. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter himself is intimidated by James. Here's the point. Here's the point. James, who was a staunch critic of his own brother, didn't believe his brother, didn't believe in his claims after the resurrection, revolutionized his thinking, changed his life, changed the trajectory of his life so that he, once a staunch critic of Jesus, now becomes a follower of Jesus as the Messiah and becomes a pillar in the church. The point, if you haven't gotten it, if you have somebody in your family, maybe you've been praying for them. They're a staunch critic of Christianity. They're not a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, they're as far from that as they could be. 
Don't you ever stop praying for them. Don't you ever give up on them. Because the staunch critic today could become a leader for the kingdom of God tomorrow. Don't you give up. Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable that we should always pray and not give up. Let me tell you, when you give up, when their heart stops, that's when you give up. As long as their heart's beating, you don't give up. you got a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, a friend, whoever it is, don't you ever give up. Whoever thought the Saul of Tarsus would become one of the greatest apostles for Jesus Christ? Whoever thought that James would become not only a Christian, following his brother as the Savior, but a pillar in the church. And not only did it change James's life, the resurrection, but we have another New Testament letter. Little letter, one page, one chapter, the one just before the book of the Revelation that bears the name of another of Jesus' brothers. It's that little letter, Jude, written by another of Jesus' half-brothers. Anybody else get Jesus bumps on this besides me? (laughs) That's just the introduction. That's not the message. But listen, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So what is James by the Holy Spirit? What does God have to say to us through James? James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. They're scattered because of persecution. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Boy, that makes you want to read the rest of the chapter, doesn't it? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. It's going to take some time. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. It's wisdom for the trial you're facing who gives generously without finding fault. It'll be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he'll pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He'll prove he's the real deal. Boy, does he get real practical here. Verse 13, When tempted, and the temptation is in the context of a trial, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire desire has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. And then this last section. Again, in the context of trials, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Trials? Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. First fruits, the apple of his eye. He loves us. He's chosen us. He's got wonderful plans for us, including the trial. Interesting, he, he says to the 12 tribes scattered. So they're scattered because of persecution, and no matter where they landed, he knows there are going to be trials. It doesn't matter where they are or who they are. Another definition goes like this, and this really gets it down and dirty. Suffering that puts strength, patience, or faith to the test. Wednesday night, talking about love, and one manifestation of love is patience. And we talked about how love for God is manifest in patience with God. Trials. And sometimes you, your strength just runs out in the trial and you, and you want to give up. Sometimes your patience runs out. And sometimes your faith wanes. That's why it's so important to realize that God has promised to give wisdom to face the trials, to be able to persevere in and through the trial. Don't miss what we read, prerequisite for getting the wisdom that God has to make it through the trial. You won't get it if you're half-hearted. You won't get it if you're wishy-washy. You won't get it if you're what the Bible calls in Revelation 3, addressing the church of Laodicea, if you're lukewarm. Now, understand, lukewarm, you're not cold. You're not cold. You're just not committed. You're not hot. You're somewhere in between. And until you are all in for Jesus, you will not receive the wisdom God has for you. Matter of fact, James says, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord if you're half-hearted, if you're lukewarm. But if you're willing to go all in, there's wisdom. And here's what the wisdom will do for us. It'll give us perspective. The writer of the Proverbs, he began to understand this. I don't know if you know this proverb, but I want us to say it together now. Say it, everybody, out loud. You ready? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. The key here is right in the middle because this is the challenge. When you're going through a trial, even the apostle Paul, as committed as he was, said he came to times in his life where he was perplexed. The apostle Paul, he was perplexed. He didn't understand and he needed wisdom. It's not wisdom you get. It's not a logical thing. It's not a, it's not a study thing. It's an internal spiritual thing that God grants. It's supernatural. I'm not saying it's separated from the word of God, but it's, listen, it's something that God gives you. It's an inner, inner peace. It's an inner understanding. Nobody can understand it except you. Because if you lean on your own understanding, that's the challenge. It doesn't make sense. If you, if you depend on what other people say about what you're going through, look at Job, what he was going through. His closest friends began to say, what in the world did you do to deserve this? What did you do to bring this trial upon your life? And he did nothing. It was heaven's purpose. And he didn't understand. But he understands now. It's a divine wisdom that God grants 
But you got to be all in. And if you're not all in, if you're wishy-washy, if you're riding the fence, don't expect it. You won't get it. It's the wisdom to get a perspective in the trial. And it's what will aid you in getting on the other side of the trial. It's wisdom. It's interesting, the doubting speaks not of uncertainty, but of internal indecision. It's a wavering between two desires. It's somebody who's, they're just kind of on the fence. You're not going to get the wisdom until you're ready and willing to go all in. You're ready to go all in? If you go all in, that's the prerequisite. It's interesting, too. Once you get the perspective, you realize the brother in humble circumstances, verse 9. And it could be a lot of things, but here he's talking about material things, material riches. Sometimes one of the best things that could happen to you. Now, please understand. Understand where I'm coming from because you're going to look at me and say, wait a minute, you got a job and you're getting paid. I understand. But I've been in those situations where I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know how God was going to provide. And sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is you have financial need, so much so that you don't know how you're going to make it. And the divine wisdom that God wants to give is that God wants to do something in your life so that your value system changes. And he doesn't allow you to get sucked into what the world is living for. And what the world's living for is a bigger paycheck and a bigger house and a bigger boat and a bigger whatever. Mark chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler, we call him, because one gospel writer tells us he was rich. Another gospel writer tells us he was a ruler. And another gospel writer tells us he was, tells us he was young. And he came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments? He says, well, I've kept those. Well, he was mistaken, but he thought he had. He was a good guy. He was a moral, upstanding, respected guy. But he was rich, materially. And Jesus said, well, one more thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and you'll have great riches in heaven. And then what was revealed was this guy's God was his money. And the things that money can buy in his value system was all messed up. And some people won't enter the kingdom of God because they'd rather have the things that money can buy rather than the things that money can't buy. And sometimes a trial actually does us good to change our value system. Here's what Jesus said. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's not what it's all about. The one in lowly circumstances has a spiritual advantage. But the challenge is to be able to see that and really, really accept that. Psalm 73, one of the greatest worship leaders in the Bible, a man named Asaph, and he lost that perspective and he looked around at all the people that weren't living for God and they were doing good and they were healthy and they were wealthy and, and he said, I have made a commitment and look what it's cost me. It's gotten me nowhere. And he said it was oppressive until he entered the sanctuary of God. And he got along with God. And in that time, God gave him 
wisdom from heaven. The Apostle Paul had the same experience. One of my favorite passages on this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Boy, does Paul just nail it right here. I don't know anybody other than Jesus in the New Testament that suffered any more than the Apostle Paul. You read the things that he sacrificed and what it cost him to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just, I, I mean, you can't relate to Paul on that level. I've never gone through the things he went through. Here's a guy who prayed for people that got healed. He saw people raised from the dead. One guy he killed because of his all-night sermon. God killed him. Paul killed him because he talked too long. I pray that doesn't happen here today. And then Paul went and prayed for him, and the guy resurrected from the dead. And Paul was like, thank God. But here's a guy who saw miracles left and right through his life and through his ministry, but he himself had this physical infirmity, this thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times for God to remove it, and three times God said no. And for the rest of his life, he had to deal with this trial, this physical infirmity. He writes about it right here, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited, something he was before he came to know Christ, and something he could have been as a key figure in the church. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then he sums it up. What a great summary. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties for when I am weak, then I'm strong. doesn't make sense logically. You don't enjoy it practically, but you count it all joy. You consider it joy because of what God's doing. Boy, James... By the Holy Spirit, he talks about wisdom not only in, in, in understanding the trial, but, but wisdom regarding temptation during a trial. Every trial has temptation. Now, he makes it very clear. The temptation is from the enemy. You got that, right? You're not, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't blame God. No, you make a wrong decision in the trial, you go the wrong way during a trial, and you say, well, look what God did in my life. Look what God allowed. Yeah, but you made the wrong decision. You didn't persevere. You made a foolish decision. And Satan threw the party in heaven. I would, uh, the bell went, wow, we got him, we got him. Very first temptation in the Garden of Eden was to doubt the goodness of God, and it worked. God's holding out on you. He's telling you not to eat of that tree because he knows what will happen. You'll be like him. And they doubted the goodness of God. You turn away. It's not God's fault. Proverbs 19.3, a man's own folly ruins his life. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. Why does his heart rage against the Lord? Because he blames God. One of my closest friends in college This guy, everybody wanted to be like this guy. He loved the Lord. 
his high school sweetheart is in the same college with us. After college, they get married and all begin to have a family. This guy, he was a youth major like me, and we all, we all knew he's going to be the best youth pastor the world's ever seen. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this series called New Testament Highlights, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, the truth of God's Word shines brightly into a dark world. The New Testament highlights that Jesus' life and ministry was a shining light into the Roman-oppressed nation of Israel. In addition, the bright testimony of the apostles amidst opposition proved that there are always opportunities to be light in a dark world. Are you sinking into despair about the heaviness that surrounds you with the events and circumstances that seem to get worse? You might wonder if there's any end in sight. Well, keep your chin up and keep your eyes fixed on the promises of God. He'll never leave you, and that can be a shining beacon of hope. We trust that this teaching has given you a renewed sense of what to live for and what's to come, as you're reminded of other people who are great examples of living out their faith. If you'd like to hear this message again, you'll find it at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be able to stay up to date on the latest things happening and know when new videos are uploaded. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.